This week, we talk about the documentary Fantastic Fungi, a documentary about mushrooms. Don't worry, it's not as boring as it sounds. Also, episode 5 of season 1 of The Flash, and a user question, and uh, the lawsuit that is currently enveloping Disney over, based on their back-end streaming deals, all of that today on 30-Minute Reviews. Welcome to 30-Minute Reviews. I am Adam. So let's talk about the legal issues that have befallen Disney of late. Now, I'm recording this on, wow, July 30th. I just completely blanked on what month it is. It's been a long week. So Disney got their first lawsuit from um, Scarlett Johansson, who was suing based on promises of back-end money that came from uh, Marvel Studios in exchange for going to Disney Plus for premium access. So she filed that lawsuit saying that she lost money based on that, which is accurate because that drop-off, number one, the box office probably would have been higher. I know I said otherwise, but last year, had there not been a pandemic, box office probably would have been higher. And then on top of it, I don't think it would have precipitously fallen off. I don't think Black Widow would have jumped off a cliff from 80 down to 20 million had there not been a pandemic with the option to watch it online and then also we can't pretend that piracy isn't a thing when you make it this easy and accessible to pirate i think that you inherently end up with that issue where people are going to pirate said movie because of how easy it is to and i don't think that especially in this day and age where it's like everyone and their mother has a like has knows someone who has a a hacked roku fire stick or uh yeah the fire stick the amazon fire stick ridiculously easy to jailbreak and everyone has one it wasn't like back in you know in high school with the ipod touches the jailbroken ipod touches where it's like you know you needed to know someone who was very specific on how to do it it wasn't the easiest thing but now it's easy now it's like now everyone has a a, a jailbroken fire stick and it's kind of you can't say that it's not biting into profits especially in this day and age where not only are we streaming these, like, able to watch a bootleg version, but here is the Walt Disney Company and Warner Brothers queuing up for you an ultra-high-definition version of it that you can download to your phone and to your tablet and to your computer. And now the the people who produce these for piracy have it so much easier. So we can't pretend that that's not part of it. But when you spend $20 million and then $60 million goes to, you know, Disney+, Plus, I think, and then the next weekend it goes down to $20 million, 80, 60, 20, and then, you know, you're going to look at that and be like, well, that's a little fucked up, and she only made, we'll get to that in a minute. Then today it was also confirmed that Emma Stone is also exploring legal options. I didn't get to see what the box office was for Cruella. I think Cruella was a fine movie. I think it was, it was very, like, I love the, the 70s, you know, British punk aesthetic. I love the way that they really leaned into that. And it was a pretty passable movie. I think it would have done better than it did with the pandemic, but I don't know how much of an impact, you know, Premier Access had to it. But I think that, like, if we look at this, you know, broadly, it's like, I think we're going to see a lawsuit from the director of Soul and the related talent from Soul. I think we're going to see uh, who may have gotten promised back-end money on that. Same thing with Luca. 
um, where people may have taken in lieu of a an increase in in upfront pay, may have taken a back end deal. And I think that that's a that's something that we're going to see more and more going forward. Where especially from Disney, because it doesn't seem like Disney really handled this properly. Like I think that we're going to see this from Emily Blunt and The Rock, based on Jungle Cruise, which dropped today, that the day I'm recording this. So I think that like you know what we're going to end up seeing is you know more lawsuits come out. My thing was I think that Disney really mishandled this because keep in mind that Black Widow was in active production well before the pandemic because it was supposed to come out in May of the year the pandemic really hit in stride so because of that we, we kind of see this we, we're looking at the how this kind of comes around and if we look at it from a, a standpoint of how much money people got paid well let's, let's look at the statement the statement says you know from Disney, like we're sorry about, like we're we're deeply sorry that she feels that she was misrepresented, but you know, COVID had an impact on us all, and we did pay her twenty million dollars. Now, I think for the Walt Disney Company to come out and see, be like, well, what the fuck do you want us to do? Like, we got impacted by COVID too. It's like, yeah, but you're also a multi-billion-dollar company whose stock price increased by a substantial margin during the pandemic. Because of the use of Disney Plus, because of how heavily you were leaning into streaming, yes, your theme parks were closed, yes, you weren't releasing movies in theaters, but you did still have increases in subscribers to Disney Plus, which at the end of the day still please your, your your stockholders. The stock for Disney is, as of recording this, at one seventy, a full fifty dollars higher than it was two years ago at this time. So, and that's not a result of coming out of the pandemic. That's the result of Disney Plus because of the pandemic. So to say like the pandemic impacted you really means you should be paying more. And then on top of it, to, to sit there and throw at, at them like, well, what do you want us to do? We paid her $20 million. Robert Downey Jr. got $60 million for Captain America Civil War, a movie where he's not even the top billed person. And he got three times the amount of money that you paid Scarlett Johansson for her movie where she's the top billed person and the executive producer. I don't understand how you, you release a statement like, well, here's what will solve the problem. And it's like, well, what the fuck do you think she did? Like, this isn't going to help you. This isn't going to make you look good. And and fundamentally what the problem seems like is, based on what I've seen and based on what I've, what I've read from Deadline and things like that, is the Walt Disney Company communicated incorrectly to the studio heads. In this case, Kevin Feige at Marvel Studios, Kathleen Kennedy at Lucasfilm. I don't know who the studio heads are at Pixar and uh, Buena Vista and at, you know, Walt Disney Studios who does the live action. I don't know who those three people are. But they communicated to them. Then the the studios themselves, Marvel, Pixar, uh, Star Wars, uh, Lucasfilm, and, and uh, Buena Vista, who does animation, and then the Walt Disney um, Walt Disney Motion Picture Company, I would assume, if that's still a thing. Uh, they communicated to the talent, and then they renegotiated contract based on that. What it seems like happened is the Walt Disney Company intentionally misled the studio heads, who then misled them. That's why it's not Marvel Studios getting sued, or it's not, like, Marvel Studios isn't getting named in the suit, and it's why Kevin Feige is so pissed off at this, because that's the thing, I've never seen a headline, Kevin Feige mad, until today, and it's like, apparently Kevin Feige is furious about the, the, uh, this lawsuit, where it's like, it's not his fault, apparently, that this happened, just like it wouldn't be, you know, not that there were any Star Wars movies coming out because of this, everything that Star Wars was doing was in streaming, but if anything like this were to impact, or... Well, I mean, the other things Lucasfilm has, like Willow and The Dark Crystal and uh, Indiana Jones, it's not like these things would be impacted by this, but 
Kathleen Kennedy would rightfully be mad at, I think Bob Iger is still in charge. I don't know if he's still in charge or if he stepped down and now Chappick's in charge. But whoever's in charge at Disney, they're the ones who fucked up. Not, you know, not specifically them, but like the legal team at Disney who probably did this on purpose to try and save as much money as possible. So yeah, I do think that these all people all do have a right to sue. And I think that they, they should get the money that they should have, you know, earned. And I, they're not going to get the money based on, um, based on you know, box office forecasts had there not been a pandemic, had, you know, this movie come out a year after um, Endgame. And I, I don't think they're going to be able to recover that money, but they will definitely be able to recover the percentage that they would have gotten had they been accurately negotiated with. And the other thing is it really does bring to light the, the whole issue where we don't have transparency from streamers for how much people are watching and how many eyes are on it. And I think that the thing is, it's like, if we look at, I, I don't know how that would come into play here. I think for Warner Brothers, that could be more of an issue because I don't know what level of information they give the talent based on what's, what's going on in these, um, in these scenes, uh, behind the scenes. And I think that, you know, if we look at how this is calculated and if this is publicly reported, it'd be so much easier. And hopefully that's the big outcome from this. Hopefully a big outcome is like, we're just going to publicly report everything, uh, not all the data, obviously, because like, there's nothing that we, the audience can do about when people stop watching, when people tune out and, you know, this, that, the other thing. But I think that we do need to have a conversation about why are the streamers not being transparent with their numbers? Like we know the number of people who have Disney plus account because that number Disney will report. They will not tell us how many people stream Luca. Like there is no concrete number for how many people streamed Luca. There is no concrete number for how many people streamed Soul or how many people signed up for Disney Plus to watch Soul. There is no number for that. And I think that that's a problem. Uh, that information should be publicly reported so that way investors and uh, well, really, it's just for the investors sake. So that way they know how much like how much like is going on there. Also, I mean, the information is all internally known to the studio. So I'm assuming they're making decisions with this information. It just doesn't feel quite right that the information is not publicly known. And then we it leaves us, you know, at a disadvantage when it comes to speculating about what's going to happen, which really is all I care about, um, because I don't make any money off of, you know, what Disney does, despite what people may say. If you collect movies, you should check out bit.ly slash deals. If you go there, it will bring you to our website where we have a new page devoted to showing off movies that you can get at Best Buy, either on discount or at a very good rate. Right now we have up there the Lord of the Rings 4K Steelbook Collection, which has beautiful art for a low price of $119.99. It's the extended editions too, where they have the new footage that was not even featured in the Blu-ray editions that came out in the past. It's the full director's cut. We also have up there Flash Season 1 on Blu-ray if you want to watch along with us. Again, the URL to go to is bit.ly slash tmrdeals. This week I only got one good question that I can really intelligently weigh in on. If it's something that I don't know very well, like if someone asked me a question about The Walking Dead, which I haven't watched, or Game of Thrones, which I'm not super well versed in, or something like that, I'm not going to weigh in on it. I will email you back and let you know, like, look, this is not a topic I'm well versed in. I, I do intend to get well versed in it, but right now I can't answer this question intelligently. And I'll apologize for it. But if it's something that I can answer, which most people can kind of figure out what what I can and can't answer based on, you know, what what I talk about on the show, I, I will talk about here. So this question comes from 
a Lewis in Oregon, if I remember correctly. Yes, Lewis in Oregon. And the question was, why do you think the Flash is going to end with season eight? And last week on the on the show, I discussed the possibility that the Flash could be ending with season eight. When someone asked me a question about Ryan Wilder on Batwoman, I, I said that I do think the Flash is going to end with season eight. On top of the fact that we have a lot of the main cast leaving, the cast who is still there are mostly people who have been on for a long time. Grant's been on for eight seasons now. Candace Patton and Daniel Panabaker, same thing. Carlos Valdez has left. Tom Cavanaugh has left. If we look at people who are still there in the supporting cast, Chester's only been there for two seasons now and going into season three. Allegra has only been there... Same thing, I believe. I believe she was introduced in uh, season six. Yeah, alongside Chester. Not alongside Chester, but uh, in the same arc as Chester leading up to blood work. So they've been on for a short amount of time, too. Plus, Grant's wife just had a baby, so he'll possibly be wanting to leave. He's got a reason to want to leave, because that's why Supergirl's ending, because Melissa Benoist just had a baby. Also, Danielle Panabaker just had a baby, too. So I can see an avenue for everyone to leave. That said, do I think that this is going to be the end of, you know, this as we know it? I think next season's I think next season's going to be a big shakeup moment for the CW where I think that what we're going to end up with is a very different situation than what we've had in the past. I think that the reason that Green Arrow and the Canaries was not picked up was because I think the CW is looking at the salary cost of the various people on the Flash and the people on Legends and the people on, you know, all of that. And they're like, okay, we need to cut the cost somehow. Which is, I think, why we saw the introduction of Bart Allen and the return of Nora, uh, Nora West, uh, Bart West Allen and Nora West Allen in the most recent season of The Flash. Because those characters are both based in 2020, uh, in the 2040s, as is Mia, um, as is Connor Hawk. There are plenty of things you can do in the 2040s with characters, and then if you really wanted to, you can drop off someone from Legends there. And the other thing is, you can bring in Katie Cassidy, you can bring in um, Juliana Hargit, uh, Hargit, I don't know how to pronounce her last name, but who played um, Black Canary. Um, you can bring them in, you can do Green Arrow and the Canaries, you can have the Flash as the side characters, and I think that that would be a more interesting thing. Now, I was, it took a while for me to warm up to the Flash forwards on Arrow, to the future timeline, I didn't find them interesting for the majority of the show, but that's not necessarily a death sentence to it because, I mean, a lot of people did like it. And Green Arrow and the Canaries was the highest rated non-crisis episode of season eight of Arrow, which was really not season eight of Arrow, more prelude to crisis featuring the Green Arrow, which Green Arrow and the Canaries was the highest rated episode. Uh, non-crisis, and it, it and and it, it there's a reason for that. It's an interesting episode with an interesting plot line, and I can see these characters going on. And because they're going from season instead of doing season nine of Arrow and going to um, season one of Green Arrow and the Canaries, all of the legacy characters, quote unquote, who are still there. So like, if they brought in Felicity, or if they or the fact that they had on both um, Dinah Drake and uh, Laura Lance. Both of them are there, so because they're now no longer series regulars on Arrow, but they're series regulars on Green Arrow and the Canaries, 
their salary reverts back to a season one pay scale rather than a season nine pay scale, which is a nice chunk of change extra that they can use to anything else. And I think that that's something else that I I could see them doing. I could see them doing that pivot to we're going to look at the future now, um, or we're going to look more towards you know other herbs. Or, but the thing is, I think that when we look at the Flash, we're getting to the point where the salaries are getting bloated. The visual effects on the Flash are expensive, and you have to continually one-up yourself. And how do you one-up yourself over and over and over again without increasing the budget? It, it's a feat. So I could see the Flash not lasting after next season. But I don't think that'll be the end of Speedsters on the Arrowverse. I think that, you know, Nora or Bart or both will appear on whatever show they do in the future. We're already getting a crossover, a first crossover of the year, which is weird considering, you know, we had an entire season with no crossovers for the first time since season one of Arrow, where because uh, Jay Garrick is appearing on on Stargirl, and that's going to be cool for me. Um, I appreciate that. I just hope that if Arrow does end next season, we don't end with another funeral, because that seems to be a trend now with these shows, is that there's a funeral in the finale of every of uh, every one of them. Because um, if I remember correctly, didn't Jennifer die at the uh, in um, in Black Lightning, the final season of Black Lightning? I feel like that happened. I feel like uh, well, Arrow ended with the funeral of Oliver Queen. Supergirl, based on set pictures, appears to be ending with a funeral, but not of any of the main characters. I can't figure out who the funeral is supposed to be for. Because Monel, Wynn, Kara, James Olsen, his, um, his sister, um, whose name I'm forgetting, Tyler Lee's character, who plays Kara's sister, whose name I'm forgetting too. Maybe John Jones, because I don't think he was on the cast list for that day. I don't know. Um, that's all speculation on my part, but I don't think it's going to end with Kara's funeral. And the way that they said the talking about it, Melissa Benoist is making it very clear she's very happy with the way that the show is ending. And I think that they would want to leave it open because I think she's such a fan favorite character. They want to leave it open where she's going to return in the future. But I don't think that... I, I know they said the Green Arrow and the Canaries wasn't coming back imminently, but I don't think the idea is dead in the water. I think it could be retooled and redone. Because like the Magicians, that happened. Zack Stentz worked on an edition of the Magicians before it got picked up by um, Sci-Fi. And it was for Sci-Fi, too. They were going to go into active production of it, and then they canned it, and then they went with the version that we got instead, which was not great, and I wasn't very happy with. So it, it really, you know, it's one of those things where we can look at that and... That's a possibility where, you know, maybe they didn't want What's-Her-Name from Arrow running the show. They wanted someone else. Maybe once The Flash ends and Wallace is freed up, maybe they want him instead running the show. But I don't know. So thank you for the question. Um, if you have any additional questions, you can feel free to uh, shoot me an email. Thank you. For those of you who don't know, Amazon has this cool new format where you can write episodic fiction. Basically, it's like Wattpad, but Amazon's version of it. And because there's a token system to it, the writers who are participating do get paid. I am on this service. I have a new ongoing series called The Alchemist and the Illusionist, where if you've read Swan Song or Duet or The Muses, you'll be familiar with the character Christine Coleman. This is kind of her origin story on how she became the alchemist that we see in there. If you've read Our Past Is Not Define Us, please do not spoil what goes on in the future in the in the future for those who haven't read it yet if you want to check out the series new episodes go up the third wednesday of every month which means august 18th will be the next new episode coming out until then the first three episodes are always free after that there's a small token fee that you can get to read the next two episodes all available on kindle vela 
which is available in your Kindle app. If you go to bitbit.ly slash Vela Alchemist, all one word, so that's bit.ly slash V-E-L-L-A-A-L-C-H-E-M-I-S-T. If you go there, you can pick up the, you can read the first three. If you like it, thumbs up, uh, give it the thumbs up. If you don't like it, please continue to give it the thumbs up anyway because it'll still bump it to the top and someone else may read it because that's the goal here. If you want to support the show, it's a great way to support the show. Minimal effort. Just go to bitbit.ly slash V-E-L-L-A-A-L-C-H-E-M-I-S-T. Thank you. Now let's talk about episode 5. I have mixed feelings about this episode. For the longest time, my first few times I watched this show all the way through... This was an episode that I would not be super thrilled about because it always felt like a not quite filler, but like if you go by the old adage of television, seven great episodes, seven okay episodes, seven bad episodes, I would have always grouped this into the seven bad episodes of the first season if there is such a thing for this show. I never really enjoyed this episode the way it was or anything about it. I never thought it was, you know, fun to watch or entertaining or anything but the thing is this episode's a key episode for barry and and really for team flash to um come to terms with their role in central city and and that's something that gets expanded on in later episodes but like this is the first time that barry interacts with iris as the flash the thing about this episode that i really like is that it shows that not every metahuman that gets their powers is going to be in this duality of good and evil where to this point we've seen five evil one good and everything else are kind of just, you know, in in the in the lurch like in the lurch about, and it's kind of like, you know, it gives you a reason to care about what happens to these people beyond just like, okay, Barry defeats them, then what happens? It kind of gives them a sense of humanity in a way that the show hadn't before. So it, it really is a well executed episode that does that, where we see uh, like this is only the second metahuman who's been willing to, to learn and go with and, and like become one with Team Flash and not just go out of their way to do something for their personal gain. And I don't think that it's unintentional that the first person this happens with is a woman, not because every metahuman we've been introduced to up until this point has been a man. The first time we're introduced to a woman who's gotten metahuman abilities, there is depth to her where she's not like, I'm just out here for, you know, revenge or I'm, I'm doing this because I, I'm a criminal and that's what I do. There is, um, there is some depth to the character. I think that the, this is one of the strongest episodes of The Flash in this season, which is weird because, like, up until this point, I never really liked this episode. I always thought it was something that I would skip if, if I was, you know, doing a rewatch, or it's not the kind of thing where it's like, oh, I gotta watch this episode now. But no, it's like, when you think about what this episode stands for and what its role is in the show, it really does do a great job of presenting itself as something new and i think also that it it's an it's a cool thing for them to try and explore in a show like this where in a show like this, it's very easy to be binary good and evil where it, it's good to show some nuance to it ordinarily this segment would be longer but i i wanted to do just one episode i should have done the pilot as one and then just continued from there but i wasn't thinking when i figured that out i wanted to do both parts of the crossover as one episode which is uh, brave and the bold on arrow and Flash versus Arrow on The Flash, and then also the next two episodes, um, The Flash is Born and Power Outage, are kind of a two-part episode, if I remember correctly, because if I remember correctly, I had to look at the episode descriptions again, because I think that they defeat Steel in the in episode six. Steel gets defeated, and then I think that yeah, I th if I remember correctly, the next episode after that with Blackout, it accidentally reanimates 
steel and then steel ends up dead um because thawn kills him if i remember correctly i gotta I, we'll see when we walk but when i watch it back but that's how i seem to remember the episode playing out but either way i wanted to do both episodes of the fl- of the crossover in one episode so we had to realign for those of you who may not know, I write books, mainly screenplay format, but they are out and released on Amazon. If you go to Amazon, you can order them, and I've made it a little bit easier. If you go to bit.ly slash atswansong, S-W-A-N-S-O-N-G, that's bit.ly slash A-T-S-W-A-N-S-O-N-G, all lowercase, you can get... If you have Kindle Unlimited, it's included with Kindle Unlimited, I believe. If not, it's only $2.99 on Kindle, $5.99 for a physical paperback. You can pick it up. It's the story of a retired vigilante who comes out of retirement to face off against a serial killer he put away about 20 years prior. It's one of my favorite stories I've written. Eventually, I'm going to get back to telling that story. I think in November it comes out. i got to look at the schedule. Uh, November is when Alpha, um, Echo Alpha comes out. So, again, if you want to read that book, bit.ly slash A-T swansong. bit.ly slash A-T-S-W-A-N-S-O-N-G. So fun fact about the movie we're covering this week, I uh, I was going to talk about Fruitvale Station. Which I believe it was the directorial debut of Ryan Cooler. That sounds right. But uh, Michael B. Jordan's in it, and it's supposed to be a really good movie. It's a movie that he did, and then he got Creed because of that. And then because of Creed, he got Black Panther, and now he's one of the big higher-ups at Marvel. Um, and I, I love his work. I, I loved Creed. I loved Black Panther. And I really want to see what he's going to do with Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. But we'll see how that goes. I wanted to see this movie to see where it all came from. Um, so it's on Netflix. I downloaded it. And I, I was like, all right, I'll watch it when I have time. I go to watch it. It was deleted. And Netflix downloaded today's movie instead. Now, because I have this auto-download thing where it automatically downloads new episodes. Just, you know, of things you might like. So that way it's like, oh, you'll never not have something to watch. But it's like, yeah, but I downloaded something and you deleted that to da- to, wa- to download what I may not have wanted. Uh, and the thing it downloaded was this documentary called Fantastic Fungi. Uh, and the reason why I'm covering it here and I'm beware of spoilers is because I'm not 100% certain when this documentary came out. I, I think it may have come out um, this week. It may have come out way before that. To be safe, I put it here. It's also a nature documentary about funguses. So it's not exactly something that, can, that I'd worry about spoilers. Like, I know I did Summer of Soul on Beware of Spoilers. But it's, you know, it's an event that's not widely covered, and it's also a different kind of documentary, and I saw it in theaters, so, yeah. And I know I've done streaming over there before, I did Master of the Universe, I did, but I think that it was more important that we covered this properly. Um, And I think that covering it here was a better use of this space. So, looking at this documentary, it was inherently having to fight against my bias and the fact that I was pissed off at Netflix for for deleting what I wanted to watch and putting this on instead, um, which this movie kind of delivered. And the thing is, it's not like I know a lot or a little about mushrooms. The beginning and ending of my knowledge of mushrooms is that I buy them to cook with onions to put on a steak or on a burger, and they're good on pizza. Besides that, not a big mushroom guy. Not not big on what mushrooms are, what they do, what their purpose is in the um, in the ecology of the world, and this documentary really does do that. It talks a lot about what role mushrooms have breaking down the environment, and you know, really promoting the the continuation of a healthy ecosystem. How mushrooms are used by plants to exchange messages um, through almost neural networks that connect um, different 
plants underground. Um, it's a, it's truly an interesting documentary in that regard, because there's so much stuff here I had no idea was a thing. And it's interesting to see how these things all interconnect in, in the wider ecology of the world and in the ecology of a forest. And then how these mushrooms can also be used in a, in a therapeutic or a, med- a medicinal sense, where we can use them to heal people and cure disease and move forward. And that's what I liked about the movie, too, is that it's like a lot of times if you're going to see a movie about psychedelic mushrooms um, and, and their uses medicinally, it can come off as not not scientific, but more like it can come off where it's like whiny and like, you know, a very veiled pretext that they want legalized medicinal psychedelic mushrooms, whereas like that's obviously what the subtext is. It's not subtle and we can figure it out by watching, you know, this. And and this movie doesn't really touch on the psychedelic effects of mushrooms, certain mushrooms, until you get to the very end. It's like the last 15 minutes of the documentary when they're like, oh, and by the way, they do all of these cool things, and not only are they psychedelic, but the psychedelic effects can also have these impacts. This is what they do. And they don't talk about going on the trip as if the trip is, you know, the reason to do it. They talk about the the effects and the long-standing effects after and, and the, the, the why you should have a guide when you do it and all of that, you know, really cool science I had no idea existed. Um, and that ultimately is what a documentary should do, is it should enlighten you on something you didn't know. Um, and this movie, and the thing is, too, a nature documentary I judge based on visuals, and there are a lot of renderings of, um, like, underground neural networks created by mycelium where um that plants communicate through that it looked pretty cool and it's designed to look like a brain there were um and there was time-lapse photography of mushrooms growing and mushrooms deter like breaking down things and it's, it's so cool to to see these things happen um with these with these cool time-lapse for, um photos that um I, I think that this is a very it's a very well executed documentary um, so if you have not yet seen Fantastic Fungi, it's on Netflix. It's worth your time to watch um, because it's it's so interesting. Um, I'm gonna try and watch more documentaries, not necessarily just for the show because I know people might get homicidal if I do that. Uh, if I convert to purely reviewing documentaries, um, I don't need that. I don't need that kind of negativity in my life. So if you are interested in this documentary, you can watch it on Netflix. It's called Fantastic Fungi. Netflix may have doc- uh, downloaded it to your phone for you without telling you. So definitely check that out. And with that, we'll be back next week with uh, another new episode. Next week, I believe we're going to be covering uh, episodes seven and uh, six and seven of The Flash. Uh, some news that happens during the week, if any does. I'm anticipating a drop of a um, Far From Home trailer. Only because, you know, Disney's having a bad press week. You would think they would want to, like, oh, and here, let's distract everyone. Here's a trailer for that. Or here's a trailer for the Book of Boba Fett or something like that. Because last year when they had the bad press of John Boyega coming out and being like, yeah, Disney Disney treated me like shit. They, uh, they were like, oh, and look, here's when The Mandalorian's coming out. So I'm having to explain something like that to happen. Or maybe uh, a teaser for Multiverse of Madness or a, a, a full trailer for Hawkeye or something like that. But I'm just sitting here anticipating that happening. So we're going to have possibly that, if not something else happening in the next week to boost onto that. Plus a movie. I haven't decided on what movie yet. So with that, we'll be back next week. Thank you and have a great rest of your week. Do you like the show? Do you hate the show? 
are you indifferent to the show? No matter what, you should probably let us know what we're doing so we can change it to better suit you, the listener's needs. You can go to either bit.ly slash boscontact, which is a contact form page you can use. Also, you can just email us directly at 30minutereviews at gmail.com. If you have questions that you would like us to answer, we can answer them on the air. We have a few questions every week that will be selected to be answered on air. Um, So if you want to tell us what we should do, or if you have a suggestion for a movie or a TV show or something we should cover, go to bitbit.ly slash boscontact, and also email us 30minutereviews at gmail.com.